And so this evening I want to begin because I'm asked to speak on uh, transitional periods as it relates to the three feasts in Israel. And it's very important that you catch what I'm about to say. Hallelujah. So when we talk about transitional times, you should just be able to understand one basic thing. We're talking of a movement from one stage of life, if you will, to another. A kind of progression, a progressive development of a man from one stage to another. And the key thing I want you to understand tonight is about your salvation. How that you ought to be transiting from one level of faith, if you will, to another. Now, it is not enough to say or to believe that you are born again. There is much more to your being born again. Hallelujah. There is much more to your being born again. And I want you to understand that because it's very important. Very, very important. You have to know that. Now, I would like to start with Deuteronomy chapter 16. I want you to go there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 16. And I want to look at verse 16. Check this for me. It's like it's not on. Are you there in Deuteronomy 16 verse 16? The Bible says... Three times in a year. Not yet. Sorry, just a minute. Okay, take it straight up there. Okay, said. No, no, no. What King James? Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which ye shall choose. In the feast of living bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Now, get this. The Lord said, three times in a year shall the male children in Israel appear before the Lord in the place which he shall choose. Now, this appearance, as it were, all this celebration, all these three feasts, are symbolic or they typify your journey into full salvation. Hallelujah. That is why I want you to be very, very attentive. I'm trying to take my time to speak so that you can understand me. It's your journey into full salvation. Now this evening we shall be dealing with the first feast which has to do with the feast of living bread. Or what you will call the feast of Passover. Now turn again to the book of Exodus. Exodus 34 verse 22. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks. Of the first fruit of wheat harvest. And the feast of ingathering. At the year's end. Tries in the year shall all your men. Children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. 
Hallelujah. Now understand this very well. What you find that to be the feast of weeks, it is the same thing as the feast of Passover. And then when you find out the feast of first fruit of wheat harvest, it is the same thing as the feast of Pentecost. And then when you find out the feast of ingathering, which is what you find in Exodus, it is the same thing as the feast of tabernacles. So they are not different feasts, they are talking about the same feast but using different names for them. And that is one thing that I need to get you informed when we talk about ingathering. We are actually prophetically speaking of what God has in mind or what he intends to do at the fullness of time. Your salvation culminates in what we call ingathering or the feast of tabernacles. Hallelujah. Amen. So here we find the three feasts to be what? The feast of Passover. Number two feast is what feast? The feast of Pentecost. What about the third feast? The feast of Tabernacles or what? The feast of Ingadrin. Now every true believer is supposed to journey through this feast. Now for the children of Israel that will come together in certain places that God will choose to observe this feast. But for you and I, we don't need to travel anywhere. We experience this spiritually. The point is, what was supposed to be the law has its own spiritual reality which we must experience. Hallelujah. Now, the feast of Passover was celebrated to keep in remembrance the wonderful deliverance of the Hebrews from Egypt. That was the major reason. When they talk about the feast of Passover, remember in the book of Exodus chapter 12, you can read this story, where the Bible talks about a lamb should be slain and eaten in every house, and they should eat it in haste. Exodus 12. Remember that? Okay. And the Bible says, you take the blood of the lamb that was slain, and you put it on the lantern. Right? Now, I have already made this correction, and I think it's important you understand it, for those of us who are coming to this understanding. The blood that was on the lintel in Egypt was not placed because of a devil. Please take time to read your Bible. Don't just believe this because people say it. God said, place the blood there. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. It is God that provided a lamb and the lamb he provided was his own blood. So what it means is I am going to pass through Egypt tonight to destroy the Egyptians. So when I see the blood, I know you belong to me. So I won't destroy myself. That is what it means. It was not because of the devil. Now when people go on preaching and you know, Sprinkle the blood, put the blood this, put the blood that. It's all human philosophy and human theology. God's blood in Egypt was to identify with Himself. Are you hearing this? 
It was not meant for the devil. It was not the devil that the blood was meant to scare away. It was meant for God to recognize that this man belongs to me. He has eaten the lamb and my identity which is my life is in him. Because the Bible tells us in Leviticus 17, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Is that okay? And somebody who asked me, Pastor David, what about what he says to overcome with the blood of the lamb? You don't understand what it means is, in times of persecution, the life of God delivers you. Because the life of God you have received, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Like, like Paul would say in the book of Galatians, chapter 2 verse 20, the life I live in the flesh, it's no longer I that live it, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who live his life in me. Are you getting that? That's exactly what it means. When he said they overcome with the blood of the Lamb or the word of their testimony. What he's talking about is the life is speaking of the word. They become true witnesses. And at the same time, the life is being empowered by the life of God. It's not necessary pleading the blood. Somebody said, but when they plead the blood, it works. Whatever you believe works for you. Even if you believe stones, it will work for you. But that doesn't make it true. There's a difference between what God says and what God is doing and what is working. Even the herbalists can do things and they can walk. Am I correct? But can you picture God never told us to plead the blood on tires. He said put it on the lintel. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Now, let's get down to something. And somebody again want to question me. What about the blood of sprinkling? Is to sanctify. Now, that's a different story. I don't want to speak about that. But you must remember what Moses was sanctifying. He was sanctified the vessels in the most holy place. He was in sanctifying tires. Huh? Come on. Do you read your book at all? <laughs> you know, the high priest would go to the most holy place and sprinkle the blood. Remember that? He was in sprinkling on tires and road and bicycles and, and tables with which you eat your food or things like that. Whatever it is. Hallelujah. So we talk about the feast of Passover. Now what he's trying to say, when you eat the lamb, when you receive his life, something happens. What happened actually is, you move from Egypt into God's life. Which is to say, you begin your journey in God. Hallelujah. So in the true sense, every believer, true believer, have received the lamb, or eating the lamb, or have experienced a Passover feast. Hallelujah. Are you catching what I'm trying to say? Okay. Let's understand this. When Israel was to leave Egypt, they said, you come, kill the lamb and eat it, eat it quickly with bitter herbs, and be in a hurry, because you're going to leave tonight, as the case may be. And so anytime you come to the Lord, and you believe in the life and the Lamb of God that was slain, as it were, you have experienced what? A Passover feast. It means your life that you were living before now received a change. It's not receiving a boost. It's receiving a change. Hallelujah. Now you move from one realm to another realm. It is part of what God will say. 
In the book of Colossians 1 verse 12, 13, the Bible says you will be translated from the kingdom of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That translation is like a transition. You are moving because you receive the life of the son of God. And that is your Passover. So it's a picture of a transition from one realm of salvation experience to another. They speak of our growth process, all of these feasts in the Lord. The feast of Passover celebrated to make remembrance, like I said, the wonderful deliverance from Egypt. When a man's faith is placed in God through Christ, the Lamb of God is said to have been saved. Now, if I ask the question, everybody will say, I am saved. <laughs> but I'm going to make you see something. Saved from what? That is the question. You know, sometimes you say, I'm saved from sin. What? There is nothing wrong with that. Absolutely, you are saved from sin. But there are some things you need to understand. Basic things you need to understand about the issue of salvation. The truth is, you are saved from the world. You ought just to be saved from the world. I would like you to turn your Bible to Galatians chapter 4, if you will. Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 1 and then read verse 4. If you are there, anybody? Galatians 1 verse 4. Are you there? The Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might do what? Deliver us from what? This present evil war, according to the will of God and of our Father. So what are you delivered from? Maybe from devils. Huh? Now, look at what he said in Colossians. You have been delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And that Galatians 1 4 says, We are being delivered from this present evil world. What makes the world evil? You know what the Bible tells us in the four John, what we are supposed to be delivered from, what was now in the first place, what makes the world? What do you think was the problem with Adam? When they ate in the book in the book of Genesis chapter three, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What did the Bible say? It was good to make one wise. Is that okay? It was good to sight. Is that okay? And then in First John, the Bible tells us the thing that constitutes the world is what the pride of life. What again? The laws of the eyes and what? You're right. So these are the three things which you are supposed to be delivered from, which constitute the world. And so when you say you are delivered from the devil, in the true sense you are trying to say you have been delivered from what the devil injected into Adam and Eve in the garden. Are you getting this? Pride of life, loss of the eyes, and loss of the flesh. These were the three basic things that were injected into the life of Adam and Eve when they partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Genesis 3. Is that okay? And that is what constitutes the world. 
So when we talk about the power of the world, we are talking about these three things that hold you captive so that you don't function and you ought to function. Hallelujah. And so when we partake of the Lamb, we are moving out of the world. We are being delivered from this present evil world. We are receiving a new status as far as our relationship with God is concerned. And that is because we place our faith in the Lamb of God, which is Christ. Now, anybody that have done that, the Bible simply says, or we often say, we are justified by the blood of the Lamb through faith. Is that okay? In other words, you are moved from the world into another realm of life. Now, in this new realm of life, God does not count your old life against you. That is why it is the word justification. But let's read a few scriptures. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 7. He said, Pour out therefore the old living, that you may be a new lamb, as you are unliving, for even Christ, watch this, our Passover is what? Sacrifice for us. Did you get that? So who is our Passover? Christ. Now remember what he said. Three times in a year shall all make children appear before me. In the place that I choose. In the feast of Passover. In the feast of Pentecost. And the feast of what? Tabernacles. Now the Bible does simply say the first Corinthians 5, 7. Christ is what? Apostle. So when you receive Christ, you have experienced what? Apostle. So the feast in the Old Testament, the reality is Christ. So you don't need to travel anywhere to experience or to partake of the feast of Passover. God is not choosing any location for the mouth. For God is spirit. And neither worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Is that okay? He spoke to the woman at the way. He said, the time is coming and now is when they shall neither worship the Father in Jerusalem. Nor in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, that was in Samaria. Because God is spirit. So the choice as to which location is not a geographical thing. It's a location, if you will, in the realm of spirit. It's a shift in the spirit. And so, Christ is our Passover. We celebrate that. We partake of that. We, when we gather together and we trust that God is with us, we are experiencing and moving. And let me tell you this. You can't just have the experience of Passover and remain there. The feast is not to be celebrated and remain there. Now let's read a few more scriptures on this. John chapter 1 verse 29. John chapter 1 verse 29. The Bible says, The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Did you get that? Now, in Exodus 12, the Lamb was slain. Is that not true? Come on, is that not true? Fine. Here in John 1.29, the Bible identified the lamb that was slain to be who? To be Christ. Hallelujah. Now turn to John 19. 
John 19 verse number 12. John 19 verse number 12. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, that is Jesus. But he just cried out saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not cease a strength. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Verse 14 says, And it was a preparation, watch this, of what? Amen. And about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. Now what I want you to pick there is about the preparation of what? The Passover. So Jesus died exactly at the time of Passover celebration. Did you get this now? Because he's our Passover lamb. And right from when he died at the very time of the Passover, you don't have any need once more to go into a geographical location to celebrate the feast of Passover. Look at that. You see, it was a preparation of the Passover. The lamb that taketh away the when Jesus died. That is why it's the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Are you following this? And because you partake of him, you move out of Egypt, which is a type of the world, into God's kingdom or the kingdom of his dear son. There's a transition now. That is why the Bible is saying, though you are in the world, you are not of this world. What, what it really means is, it's not saying you don't exist here. It's not saying you don't use money. It's not saying you don't stay in good homes. Because sometimes, with this kind of mentality, we, we like to live very wretched, very, very dirty looking. We don't even brush our mouth because I'm not of this world. You better do that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, the Bible says we're not of this world, you know. And so you don't even do what you are supposed to do. You don't keep neat. And so you see somebody look neat and beautiful. You say, oh, don't mind. I'm not bothered about that. You know, I'm not of this world. The person is worldly. No. There's a place of being smart. Is that okay? Come on. Am I talking here? There's a place of being smart. You just have to be smart. You have to, you have to be presentable. Huh? You have to be. Don't look ugly just because you're not of this world. If you are in this world, but you are not of this world. You know the difference? You are existing here, but the world doesn't control you. That's what it means. When he says you are not of this world, doesn't mean you are not in this world. If you are not in this world, what do you eat? Talk to me. Do you eat? Do you sleep? Do you take your bath? Then you are of this world. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. What it means is, the world system doesn't control you. But you see, it's not an automatic thing that you are a believer, therefore the world can't control you. It has to do with the level and the amount of transition that you have, you have made. Hallelujah. Now let me show you the benefit of this Passover thing, because there is something deep I'm about to share right here. As the Lord made me to see. Romans chapter 3 verse 24. When you receive the blood of the Lamb... You come into the place of justification. 
Romans 3.24 The Bible says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The possible land. Did you get this? Being justified freely. Now Romans 5 verse number 1 again. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving you the benefit of the feast of Passover. What are the benefits of this feast? Are you there with me? The benefit is you are being justified freely by His grace. Justified. Now the word justified is very important. To render, that is show or regard as just or innocent. Free. Justifier be righteous. You know what? The Bible is saying because you partake of the feast of Passover, everything that you seem to have picked from Adam, God cleaned them out in your life. You are justified. You are freed in the blood of the Lamb. Listen to me. You see, one thing that is most painful to me today is Christians live with this guilt consciousness. You know what that means? Because somebody teaches you, you are carrying the sins of your forefather. So you are always feeling guilty. Is that okay? Now, if your forefather that lived some, some 30, 50, 60 years ago can so affect you, how much more, Adam? Come on, am I talking to someone here? Now, if God sets you free from what Adam did, why wouldn't the same blood set you free from what your father did? Think about it. Because genealogically, you have to trace your genealogy to Adam. Am I correct? Now, if God said, I set you free, I justified you, what your great-great-grandfather did, I set you free because you believe in the blood. How much more your father would die in the village? Nonsense. Can't hold me. If the blood of Adam, if the sins of Adam can't hold on to me by reason of the blood of Jesus, my great grandfather's sin have no part in my life. Well, you say, Pastor, but, but uh, well, is, is that your body is yours, not for me. I'm not asking you to believe what I'm believing now because I'm justified that there is nothing. That, that any of my great grandfathers did that is holding on to me. I am taking responsibility for my failures today because Jesus set me free. Can I hear an amen to that? Justified. I want you to understand that one. The benefit of the feast of Passover. You are you are innocent. You know what that means? It means you have not committed anything. Innocent. You are a baby. <laughs> Everything Adam did, God said, Hey, I look at you, you are a baby. You didn't know anything about it. So I'm not going to punish you for what your father did. But somebody tells you, You can get out of it. You say, Yes, I know I can get out of it. Ah, it's left for you. Keep on carrying those loads. <laughs> Jesus said, come unto me. Yea, that I have a lady. And I will give you rest. Did he say so? 
You refusing this rest and believing what somebody is teaching? Go ahead. Let all your dreams be tormenting you because your great grandfather said, I have nothing to do with that. I am a free man. <laughs> I am a free man. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? No part of my great great grandfather have anything to do with me. Not at all. By reason of the blood of Jesus. I have transisted. Are you hearing this? Ooh, think about it. Transition. So look at it. Assuming I get to the airport, got my ticket, bought a plane, get out of the shores of Nigeria. Man, once that happens, if the weather here changes, it can't affect me because I'm in another climate. Hallelujah. My ticket is the blood of Jesus. I have transisted. I'm no longer in the shores. Even if there's riots, I can only read it in the newspapers. Is that not true? Because I'm not there. You have to move. And it has to be done in the spirit. You have to come to the place of understanding. Now all of this is simply by simple faith. To then that believe. He gave power to become what? The sons of God. Simple. It's a faith issue. Brother, no man can hold you back. Just live your life. Take responsibility for your life. If you are failing, don't blame God. Don't blame any devil. It's just you. Huh? It's you. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Okay. So these are the benefits you get for getting into the blood. I mean, this feast of Passover. Now, again, Romans 5 verse 9. Hallelujah. Much more then, look at that. Being not justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more be reconciled, we shall be saved by what? His life. What is his life? The life of the flesh is in the blood. We shall be saved by his life. We shall be saved by his blood. What that means is, his life that we receive, because we receive the blood, continue to transfer us, or translate us, or move us from one level of life to another level of life. Let me tell you something. Sickness, all of those things we are experiencing in your physical body, they are part of actually what we inherited from Adam. You are not supposed to be sick, we are supposed to live in divine head. From divine head, we are supposed to move into what am I talking about? Immortality. Is that okay? The father you are sick doesn't mean that is God's plan. We only need to come to the place of transition. There are some people who live, they are never sick, not even fever. Do you know that? Hallelujah. We shall be saved by his life. Now, basically, what God is saying, God's anger is no longer going to rest on us by reason of the blood, which is the life of the Son. Because the blood cleans us, it deals with our conscience, it deals with our soul. It brings us to a place of sanctification through obedience by the Holy Spirit. So, God's anger can no longer rest on you by implication. You cannot live a life that will make God to be angry with you. Why? Because you have the life of the Son. Can I hear an amen? 
Because the life of the son is what controls you. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus said, even as God have life in himself and has given life to the son, so also you shall have life in yourself because I have life within me. So the life of the son becomes your life. And because the life of the son always pleases God, therefore you cannot do anything that will make God to be what? Offended. That's what it means here when he said, for more than being just by his blood, we shall be saved from the rot through him. God's anger is not there. Let me tell you something. God is not angry with you. Can I hear an amen to that? God is not angry with you. God will not be angry with you, if you will, because of the blood. Amen. Amen. You must understand the benefits of the feast of Passover. So important. And until you appropriate this to your life, you cannot move to the next feast. Which I'm going to be sharing with you tomorrow. Amen. Are you still there? So, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, the Bible says. Now, the fact that we are purchased by his blood and sanctified by it, render us sacred in the eyes of God. Besides us a value on us as proportionate to the worth of the price of our redemption. What am I trying to say? Anything you buy has a tag attached to it. Is that okay? If you if you go to the market, anything you want to pick, the amount you pay is the equivalent of what you get. Are you getting that? Fine. Therefore, the value of your redemption is the equivalent of the life of the son. Because that's what he paid for. Hello. When you talk about redemption, you're talking about buying back what was sold. Redemption is not just going to the market to buy. It's, it's like you go to what we call a pawn shop, 3000 for the keyboard. And you say, okay, I got 40,000 for the keyboard. And you say, okay, I got 40,000. It's okay, you pull down 40,000. And then when you have the balance of 60,000, you come and pick it. Now, 100,000 is the equivalent of the keyboard. Are you getting that? So when you get a balance, you come in and pay your 100,000, and then what do you get? You get a keyboard. So, 100,000 equals keyboard. Keyboard equals a what? 100,000. So, the blood equals your life. Your life equals what? The blood. Redemption. Proportionate value. Jesus didn't pay anything less. Therefore, the value God demanded for your redemption is the equivalent of your life. That's the value of Passover. But if you don't know this, now that's what the Bible says. It says, he that is redeemed and understandeth not is like the beast that perishes. It all means, if you don't know the value of your redemption, you act foolishly. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Are you still there? Hallelujah. Okay. Now, I want us to move on a little bit. I'm going to show you something. Staying on the level of justification is such a terrible thing. It's like, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know say we're justified by faith and sometimes we come to the place where we say, well, you, you, you just receive salvation the next thing you do is you want to tell everybody to become a believer. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Evangelism, witnesses, strong one. There's nothing wrong with that. But you see, justification by faith is just the beginning of the journey. Help me tell your neighbor, that's the beginning. Fine. Are you getting that? Because you see, it's like the Israelites live in Egypt and they come to the border of the wilderness and they camp there. You know, the next stage and the next level of the movement was to go to Mount Sinai. But if they can't, there was even a time they can't for so long. The Lord said, you have come from this place for so long. Take your move. Remember that? And so many Christians come to God and they settle for the peace of Passover. They don't know anything more than that. They don't move beyond that. We have three feasts. Why are we talking only of Passover? And nobody talks about Pentecost. Nobody talks about Tabernacles. Because they have no understanding about it. The church don't even know what we're talking about now. And so when we come to that, we come to the place where we say, well, all you just need to do is just justification by faith. You just believe and that's the end of it. No. In this meeting, we're going to be seeing clearly that God intends us to move beyond just being justified by faith. Hallelujah. Are you, are you still there with me? So if you just start off for justification by faith, it's like the Israelites leaving the borders of Egypt, just coming out and they're hanging on the edge of the Red Sea. You know, they have to cross the Red Sea to get into the wilderness. So it's like they came out to the edge of the Red Sea, they just come there. They never cross the Red Sea, they never enter the wilderness proper. Not to even talk of getting to Sinai. Amen. But you see, if you don't proceed to Mount Sinai, you can't get the laws. And that's the thing we're going to be dealing with tomorrow. You can get out of Egypt, get up to the Red Sea. If you don't cross to the Red Sea, cross the Red Sea up there, move down to Mount Sinai, you can't get the loss. The truth is this, let me tell you something. We're going to be seeing that clearly tomorrow. The point is, Pentecost is not about speaking in tongues. It's about the laws of God written in our hearts. Can I hear any man to that? It's not about signs and wonders. No. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We're going to be seeing that tomorrow. Do you believe in science and wonder? Sure, I do. Do you believe in miracle more than you do? But truth is truth. Can I hear an amen to that? Hallelujah. No, there is a promised land. Remember, there is a promise of a promised land. Before ever they left Egypt. God gave them a promise of a promised land. Am I correct? Fine. So if you leave Egypt and stop at the Red Sea, are you there in the promised land? Good. And that's exactly what we're doing. We have received salvation. And we think we have got into the promised land. But I'm going to make you see what the promised land is all about. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Okay. Now, I want to show you something. The, the, I'll just show you the benefit, part of the benefit, there are still more, but I have to stop there, of the Passover feast to you and to me, or for you and for me, right? But now, I want to show you what happens if you don't go beyond justification by faith. Hallelujah. Let me say this. For all my good friends who will love me and those who know what I believe and trust in. 
Justification by faith is the ministry of the outer court. And God is not interested in the outer court ministry. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you there? Justification by faith is the outer court ministry. And God is not interested, as it were, in the outer court ministry, as we think it is. Because God is so concerned about justification by faith as it is, it simply means we need all of us to end up not even good enough to the wilderness, but staying around the border of the Red Sea. Now let me show you something. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's read very fast from verse 1. To verse number 7 if you will. But I think I'm going to be stopping. I'm much more concerned in verse uh, 1 to 3. Verse 1 to 3. How many of you know about the tabernacle in the wilderness? You know about the tabernacle in the wilderness? Hello? Are you there? Tabernacle, the wilderness, what do you have? The altar court, the holy place, the most holy place. Is that true? Okay. Now, let's read this. Verse number one, the Bible says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was made, or there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table. And the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And look at verse 3. And after that, the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. What does that mean? Are you, are you saying that? Are you saying that? Now, if you look at this picture, God is not talking about the outer court. Because what they call the second is the holy place. The first is the most holy place. Nothing to do with the outer court. Did you notice it? Come on. He talked about first and second. There's no thought. Hmm? Hello? Some of you, <laughs> you haven't seen this before. Maybe it looks strange. But there's no body here I will have been able to illustrate to you. But you see, the outer court, the Bible tells us of the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place. Remember that? Good. Now, what he just read here, when he talks about the first tabernacle, he's speaking of the holy place. Then when he talked about the second veil, he's talking about the most holy place. So he didn't deal with the outer court at all. God is not interested in that. He is talking about just two tabernacles. The holy and the most holy. Now, I am telling you tonight that Passover corresponds to justification by faith. And that is the ministry of the article. Now, there is a reason why God is not so much as concerned about this. I will not have the time to be dealing with that. But listen to this. When the Bible says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, neither the moon by night. What do you think he's talking about? Oh well. You think David was praying? Fine. But now let me quote another scripture. And the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
What do you think he's talking about? Now watch this. The second quotation I just made, Psalm 91, has to do with those who are finding themselves in the most holy place. The secret place is under the cherubim of glory. That is the glory that was on top of the ark. When God spoke to Moses, he said, make me an ark. I will come and dwell with you. So God was dwelling between the cherubim. That become the secret place of God. So when you move into the most holy place, you are experiencing the fullness of God. Right there, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Because that's a place where the sun cannot touch. So David was saying, I'm going to... So David was saying, I'm going to move beyond the outer courts into the most holy place. That's where my defense is. But you see, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, the outer court have no covering. The covering of the animal skin starts from the holy place to the most holy place. The altar called was open with the water of lava, the altar of him, where they burn the animals. The sun and the moon was touching there. So if your ministry, if your fellowship ends in the altar called, the sun and the moon will smite you. Move on. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's a transition. When you move into the holy place, you partaking of the showbread. Showbread. You know what showbread means? To show on the face. It's time to study the word showbread. To show bread or show on the face. You begin to see the life of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So they call it the bread or the show bread. Huh? You move beyond the altar courts. Sacrificing all of them. There's nothing wrong with that. But God wants you to go beyond that. To the holy place where you partake of the seven candlesticks. And I'm going to be talking, talking about a little bit of that tomorrow. About the seven golden candlesticks. Those things you find there, you know. Remember in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, John had a voice that was speaking unto him. And when he turned, he saw him that was standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks. What was he saying? He found Jesus standing in the midst of the church. Because the seven golden candlesticks speaks of the seven churches in Asia. Hallelujah! But as soon as he finished that discussion, uncle, you know what happened? He had a voice that said, come up here. What did he say? Get out of the church system. Come up into something else. And I will show you again the glory. That's your transition. Get out of the church system. Mm? He said, when I turned and saw him standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And then I had a voice behind me, come up here. And I will show you. Come out of the church system. Come out of Pentecost. See something greater. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? That's what John experienced. That's a transition. But some of us want to die. We want to die in justification by faith. Others want to die around Pentecost. But there's a voice saying, come up here. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Anytime God wants to speak, He speaks from the mountain. The Bible tells us in the book of Exodus, say God descended upon the mountain and a voice spoke. And then when Jesus took the people to Mount of Transfiguration, the voice spoke. He's only speaking on the mountain, not he's speaking on the valley. Get up. Come up here. Hallelujah. So hear this. So here you see that. God is saying, I got two tabernacles. I'm not so much concerned about the thought, if you will, which is the outer court. Is that all right? And that is a ministry of justified by faith. Where you stay on the border. You just stay very close to the Red Sea. You don't cross the Red Sea. You are not moving to Mount Sinai. 
God wants you to move. Tell your neighbor, you have to move. Hallelujah. Okay. Alright, so we're not going to be dealing with all of that. Let's move on. Now let me show you this is the most dangerous aspect of what I'm sharing tonight. <laughs> that is, when you refuse to move out of the outer court, which is what I now call the justification by faith type of belief system and ministry, your passable experience, see what happens to you. Revelation 11. Revelation 11. Is anybody following what I'm doing? Okay. Even if you don't follow, your neighbor will teach you. Because now you can teach your neighbor. But the time comes when no man will teach his neighbor, know the Lord. Come on. Did you get that? That's another remontale. That's a transition. Revelation 11 verse 1. If you are there, say amen. Ah, watch this. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angels stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. <laughs> but the court, which is without the temple, live out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the only thing shall they train other food forty and two days. Live out. No interest in that. Mm? So, go and measure this temple. What he's trying to say? Let me know those who are true worshippers. <laughs> Let me just give the census to me. Who are the true worshippers? I want to know them. Those who are still in the outer court, live out. The sun shall smile thee by day and the moon by night. Forget about those people. Let me see the true worshippers who have come close enough to me. If you stay along the border in the name of Passover. This is the only statement you will hear from the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you following this? The altar courts live out. <laughs> Amen. See, to, to a natural observer, the altar court is like a part of the main temple. When you look at it, you see, okay, God has holy place, most holy place in the altar court. No, that is your estimation. But God is not estimating the altar court. Are you getting what I'm talking about here? He's not caring. Now, listen to me. Everybody goes there. Now, when you say, leave out, it is given to the Gentiles to trade in. There are so many things I can say about that, but I want to come to a place so that you can comprehend what I'm saying. God is saying there can be a lot of people there. Mixed multitude in that realm. I'm not bothered about that. Just move into the holy place, move into the most holy place, and tell me the number of people who have come to the place of true worship. Let me tell you something. When the tabernacle was standing in, let me say the land of Israel as they were, the altar court was a place where actually the Gentiles can stay. They don't go beyond the altar court. In that sense. Because the altar, remember there was a middle wall of partition. Fine, fine. These Gentiles can only stay out the altar because they don't move into the holy place. They don't join themselves to the Jews because the Jews don't consider them fit enough to come in there. So they have their limited place of worship. And that was more in number. <laughs> Does that sink in? Are you getting any message there? There is a great numbering 
on the outer courts. Mixed multitude that doesn't have access to the holy place. God said, don't bother about them. Just come in here. Come on to me. So when you go to number, when you go to Kent, don't count those on the outer court. Hallelujah. We're talking about the persons that are assembled a kind of a portion of true worshippers of God, but it was necessary neither one nor the other. Now, what I'm trying to make you understand is this. Sometimes when we look at the church, we seem to see one church of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in the true sense, we don't know the true worshippers. And sometimes when things begin to happen to some people, you've been wondering, but I thought he's a believer. But you have not been able to know whether this man is an outer court worshiper or he's a true worshiper. Does that make sense to you? So, why do calamities before Christians? They before altar court believers. He said it is given unto the Gentiles to tread upon feet. I want you to understand that. The altar court camp simply means they do not belong to the camp of true temple worshippers. Here are those who occupy this realm and not to be seen as a people of the true church. They come to service, but they are not true worshippers. They go to church, but God is not after those who come to church. They go to church, but God is not after those who come to church. He's after what? True worshippers. And he said, when you want to go count these people, don't count those on the altar court. Because they are not coming yet. Hallelujah. Are you seeing that? Those who have access beyond the outer court are not to be regarded as God's people. Let me show you something. You know, if you look at the book of, I think Ephesians chapter 12, the Bible talks about those of us Gentiles who were without God in this world. Have you read about that before? How could it be God created everybody? And yet God is saying there are some people who are without God. Hallelujah. Are you there? How could that be? It simply means if you don't have the laws of God, if you don't walk in the covenant promises of God, you are not of God. Though God created you, even so, those in the outer God, though they be those who go to church, but as far as God is concerned, they are not His people. They are not true worshippers. So some things can happen to them. And sometimes it surprises you. You'll be wondering, why is this so? Are you surprised how Christians even can die in automobile accident, die in plane crash, die in all manner of... Do you think that is God's will, God's mind that this thing be so? It simply shows where we are in our worship of God. The father you carry one colored black book or red or green cover book doesn't make you a true worshiper. Help me tell your neighbor, you need a change. <laughs> you need to move on. Do you understand what I'm saying now? The father you carry the book and sing got a good song in church doesn't make you a true worshiper. Because even those who are coming to the feast in the altar court, they were also coming to worship. Am I correct? But God said, I don't need to count those people. Don't count them when you're counting those worshiping me. Don't count those people. 
And these are the men that stay where the sun shall smile day by day and the moon by night. Look, all those people they wrote, wrote things for you, you say, pray in the middle of the night, sun shall not spite thee, and you'll be quoting it like a parrot. That doesn't make anything. You can quote all of that and see die. Those are not prayer points. They write some useless books and say, dangerous prayer book. <laughs> and you spend your hard earned money and pay into a book that have no value. You be sweating, praying those useless prayers. What God is saying, move into the most holy place. For he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. Say the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. It's not a prayer point. It's a confession of a man who has seen God. Hallelujah. Stop being deceived. When the bookstore, the other they saw books. If you see camel, this. If you see crocodile, this. As you look at it. If you see camel, eat it. Hallelujah. The Bible says all things are good, nothing to be received. It says they be sanctified by simple prayer. Lay hands on them. And you say, I saw you in a dream. Fine. You wake up in the morning, take a cup of water, breakfast. Are you there? You can't intimidate a child of God. Who's walking in the most holy place? Are you hearing me? For the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. You are delivered. You are freed. You are in God. The Bible says He will live and move and have our being. Let me tell you something. Before man will touch you, he will first touch God. Because in Him you live, in Him you move, and in Him you have your being. If anything happens whatsoever, understand this fact. It is a man that is on the outer court. Not a man in the most holy place. God is not counting on outer court ministry. He's dealing with the most holy place. Are you following what I'm talking about? So don't die a believer in that sense. What I mean? I'm a Passover believer. I'm just giving by faith. You understand what I'm talking about? And you don't make any progression. You don't make any transition. What happens to the unbeliever will happen to you. Do you understand? Glory to God. Let some sense come into our head. We are not raising ministry of outer called Thirtyfold? No, we are moving from sixtyfold to hundredfold. Can I hear an amen to that? Thirtyfold is out of court. God is not interested in that. That is Passover. Now you are free. Now you know who you are. No enchantment against Jacob. No divination against Israel. For you are justified by faith.